Good afternoon. Good morning, everybody. Turn to the book of Malachi a moment. Book of Malachi, chapter 3. Every time somebody says that, I think they're going to talk about tithing. But I'm not, so you can relax. Malachi, chapter 3. And take a look at these verses. Malachi 3, and I'll read from verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how? You ask, how are we to return to you? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. It's, it's an incredible scripture, folks, because whether you can see it or not, right there, you've got people asking God, how can I actually get close to you? How can I get nearer to you, God. Tell me. And God gives a very simple answer. And the answer is, with offerings. With sacrifices and offerings. One of the problems we have, I think, is, as New Testament believers is we confine sacrifices and offerings. If you like, if I could have my first slide there, please, Paul. We confine sacrifices and offerings to the Old Testament. And we're all too familiar, maybe over-familiar, with these types of things. The burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, or whatever. And that's absolutely fine. And if I said to you, how did an Old Testament believer draw near to God? You would say, ah, there's, there's, there's whole books about that. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, explaining that an Old Testament believer was not permitted to come into the presence of God without something. Without something that cost him. It was called a sacrifice or an offering. And there's a list right there. But how does a New Testament believer draw near to God? Has anything changed from Malachi's day? Yes and no. Praise God we don't have to bring a bull or a goat, but ev not everyone. There's actually five categories of Old Testament sacrifice and offering. But four of them remain. One of them was done away with. It was the blood for obvious reasons. Jesus Christ has died. There's nothing we can do in that regard. But with regards to every other, the, all four of the other offerings, they have a New Testament counterpart. How am I going to draw near to God? What's the way, Lord? Show me. Well, you could read your Bible forever and a day and still not see it. Just because of our conditioning, because of our church cultures, because of the way we've been raised. Do you know how you draw near to God? Nothing has changed in this regard by making sacrifices, by bringing offerings. In fact, in Romans 12, the most famous one of all, Paul tells us to become that living sacrifice. That was the burnt offering, by the way. So each of those Old Testament sacrifices and offerings has a New Testament counterpart that will either bring you closer to God or by failure to recognize it 
will shut God out in ways that you know He is there. You know the presence of God is so real. Sometimes you can see Him move. And you can live your whole life and think, why not me? What was it that I missed? What did I not understand? And this is not the only thing, but it is definitely one of the things. So the Apostle Paul teaches us how to enter the presence of God by becoming a living sacrifice. The meal offering, that changed its form and it's commented on many times as doing good or the the works of the saints. The peace offering, as I say, doesn't transfer. Trespass offering became public, uh, public confession. So you can see some things changed, some things didn't. Take a look at the book of Acts. Oops, there goes my water. Take a look at the book of Acts a moment. And let me show you that. Acts chapter 10. This is a New Testament believer bringing sacrifices before God and benefiting because of it. Acts chapter 10 and verse I'll start from verse 4. It's about Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 4. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor, his offerings, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up before God as a memorial offering. This is a New Testament believer. It's the book of Acts, not the Old Testament. And what we've got there is a New Testament believer oops, simply making offerings to God, bringing his offerings before God. And what does God do? He responds. He responds. He sees the effort. He sees the sacrifice. He sees the offering. And his response, you know, in the kingdom, the more work you do, your reward for work is more work, right? He sees what he's doing, and God's response is to call that man and actually give him a task. I'm just saying, folks, I don't know about you, but as I have have grown up in, in the church cultures I have been with, they weren't particularly guiding me down these lines. It wasn't, you know, highlighted, if you like. Could I have my second slide, please, Paul? Take a look at these three things here. The Scriptures are very clear about the, you know, the, the aspects of our life. You are required by God, if you're born again, to fulfill certain duties, right? There's a, a whole load of them. They are manifold. Duties galore. Jesus told a parable about duties. He said there was a servant out working in his field all day. He came home. His master was hungry. Does he make his own meal? Jesus said no. First, he serves his master because he's only doing his, his duty. So as a believer, you have many duties that God requires of you. As a believer, you have your acts of service. What's that? How's there, what's the difference? Well, your acts of service refer to your gifting. Every Christian, everyone who's born again, at the point you're born again, Christ gives you a gift. That's your service. That's what that refers to. And then the highest level of our ministry unto God is the last one. It's sacrifice. I just want you to see, folks, do you know what? The age we live in, everything has become a sacrifice. Everything has turned into a sacrifice. We turn up on Sunday, we think it's a sacrifice. We serve in the worship team, we think it's a sacrifice. No, it's not at service. And in, in my opinion, we've lost a grip on this and we pay for it. 
We pay for it by lack of intimacy with God, by lack of power, right? It's a sad thing, folks. I have many duties. Every believer has has huge amount of duties. I have my service that I must fulfill in the body of Christ. The gift that is in me and in you is for the church. Amen. To serve the church. But that's just the beginning. And that's not even bringing me into the Holy of Holies because it takes a sacrifice to do that. If we get this right, please listen, if we get this right, do you know where we end up? In the presence of God. If we fulfill His pattern, God's eternal pattern, we will end up in the presence of God like we have never been. And I believe that's part of prophecy too. This end times church. Man, that bride is going to be good looking. Right? Without spot or blemish. That's what your Bible says. Something's going to bring us in there. The, the presence of God, like never before, shaking this world once again, like the book of Acts, that we will be the head and not the tail. Amen? So where do we begin? Well, certainly not by fulfilling our duties. Let's fulfill our duties. Certainly not by concentrating just on our service or our ministry area, but way past that, by moving into the area of sacrifice. Could I have my next slide, please, Paul? Take a look at this. Let me use this as an example. It's also on your notes. When the Bible talks about salvation, in the Greek, in your New Testament, it uses two different words. When it talks about man's part in salvation, what word does the Bible use? Conversion. So when the New Testament writers are telling us about man's part in getting born again and getting saved, the writers use the word conversion. When they talk about God's part in salvation, the Bible uses the word regeneration and refers to it quite differently. If you, the reason there's four columns on that chart there is it represents all four parts, the four steps, if you like, spelled out in the book of Acts and in many places as to how a person gets saved. If you add up all the scriptures in the first column, they, they mostly refer to man. You see how high the man part is? If you add up all the scriptures in the Bible in the second column, that the top half being the scriptures that refer to God giving belief, there's, they're mostly about men still. If you go to the third column, baptism, and you add up all the scriptures that talk about what God's going to do, they become greater. Until you get to the end, when it talks about receiving the Holy Spirit, and then the scriptures use the word regeneration. I just want you to see, folks, you know what? If we approach salvation correctly, the end result in a Christian life is a whole lot of God. And not a lot of the man. But there's, there is one huge number of bad births in the kingdom. When a person gets born again, they need to be brought right through that birth canal. Full repentance. You know, when people ask us or they're coming and they're praying a prayer of repentance, one of the things I, I, I try to say and as often as possible is tell me what you're repenting of. What? I want to know what. Name it. What is it? Tell me what you're turning from. I need to know. Because it's not vague. It's not woolly. Real birth should leave that person 
with a, a, a knowledge of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The fourth column, right? And it's the same with sacrifice. That's just what I want you to see. When, when, when it refers to salvation, if we get this right, we end up with a whole lot of God and less of us. And the same with a sacrificial life. If we get our duty, service, and sacrifice right, our lives will end up with a whole lot of God and a whole lot less of us. I must decrease and He must increase. Now, the sacrifices in my life have changed as I have got older. As you, know, you get married, you raise your kids or whatever, you change careers. As you move on, just chronologically even, the things that you are going to be required by God to sacrifice are going to change all the time. And we need to keep pace with that. Can I have my next slide, Paul? Take a look at the, sorry, it's on your notes. The back of your notes there I've given you today. It's a picture of the tabernacle. And I want to explain something because it's, it's pertinent to where we're going today. The tabernacle, this is a picture of what's in heaven, remember. Right? This is an earthly picture of God in His grace gave us a picture of what was up there. And a man approached God by making a sacrifice. There were two miracles. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. But there were two miracles that took place in the tabernacle. Do you know that? They were given strict instructions. They were to build that tabernacle just a certain way. And guess what? If they built it according to the plan of God exactly, and everything was done correctly, the day would come when the priest would bring in that bull or that goat and they'd put it on the brazen altar, but there was no fire. There was no fire. And they had to stand back, and you can imagine the tribes camped around the tabernacle. And what would happen is this. They would do everything that God required. Set up the altar, put the calf or whatever on that altar, and then stand back. And do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? Fire came down. Fire fell out of the sky and lit up the sacrifice. And all Israel knew that the presence of God came upon what? sacrifice. The presence of God came out of the sky and all Israel knew there is a God in heaven and He's right in the midst of us. They knew what it was to fear the Lord. And you might think the judgment on Israel was so severe. It was. But don't forget the miracles amongst Israel were so great. They had seen the sky open. They had seen the pillar of fire. So the judgment was also great. It was the sacrifice that God responded to. And that's where the fire came from. And that was the first miracle in that outer court, actually. It refers to our soul. I want to ask you, most of us here are, well, I don't want to say middle-aged, <laughs> but it, it, this is a very good age of men, I must say. It's a fantastic age group. Very good. Because... After a little bit of life experience, huh? A few little bumps, a few little knocks on the road. I think it's better. You've been a bit of an empty head, you know, if you're anything like me when I was a kid. And after a few little knocks, I think I'm ready to listen. I think I'm ready to go back to the drawing board and say, God, what was it you said? What was it that I have to do? 
And why don't they just do it? Wouldn't that be simpler than all this? And what I want to do today is ask you about your life, about the things that have happened to you, about the, the you know, we'll, we'll go through a whole list of things, issues that may clog your progress in the Lord. It is good to come back to God periodically, right? And do an, a, a self-assessment. And I want to work through, I've given you a little chart there, just all of me. I don't, I, I've got actually a new Bible at home. It's a subject Bible. It's very good. Not like any other subject Bible I've ever had. Subject Bibles have a list of subjects, you know, and they stuff scriptures into them. But this is a new idea. Someone has taken the Bible and divided it into the, every verse in the Bible into about 26 different categories. So you get the whole picture of what the Bible says. I thought it was an excellent idea. I've tried to do the same for your life and mine and looked at the areas that we all go through, our hopes, our experiences, our knowledge, our qualification, just for this first half this morning. And then we'll go to the second half this afternoon. I want to start with hopes because that's probably the most personal thing to me. Do you know what, guys? This is a, this is a real serious one to me. I really mean it. It, 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 it. it cut me up as a young believer, tore me apart. If I was to ask every man in this room to write on a piece of paper the thing you don't understand about your life, why did that happen? What did I do, God? Why did this happen to me or that happen to me? If I asked you to write that down, we gathered up all those bits of paper. Do you know what those bits of paper would represent? <laughs> How God creates hope in you. Heavenly hope, not earthly hope. How he gets your attention and gets your head up and makes you a heavenly-minded person. The creation of hope may not be important to you, but believe me, and I've come to understand through an awful lot of pain that hope, a heavenly hope, is incredibly important to God. Let me tell you what happened to me. The lowest, I'm, I'm a very happy guy, actually. I'm a happy you know, person. I could never dream of myself being suicidal, ever, never. Wouldn't cross my mind, except once. And it was to do with this thing here, hope. I was a young minister. You know what the call of God is like? I didn't, wouldn't think of going into ministry until I got saved. I had a definite call to go to ministry. So that's fine. As a young, naive Christian, I go to Bible college, study in Bible college. I come back, and I, my, my, my plan is to work with the church and, you know, to be a pastor and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm over the moon. I'm really excited. I meet a girl and I fall in love. Right? And I marry this girl. And we're happy going along and everything else. And I wander into the church leadership structure one day. And I say, you know, come on, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for my future. I've got such hope. It's got to be good. Real good. And I sit down for my interview Hi, I'm Michael, and this is Jeanette. They say, tell us about your history. Oh, well, this is just me. Jeanette, she, oh, actually, she was married before. She's divorced. What? My wife's divorced. Is she? Oh, right. Anybody else coming today? We don't want to work with you. Guys, I cannot tell you how savagely we were treated in that room. And I'm not getting at anybody. But we were. Savagely. 
hardly even ask a question. <laughs> you think you might want to ask one or two questions maybe? No! Awful. And for me, that was my world. You know what it's like. You, th you live in a small pond, and for me, that was my world. I was limited to that, and I couldn't see outside the box. But you know what that did to me? You may as well have taken a knife, stuck it in me, and ripped me open, hung, drawn, and quartered. Because I left that interview utterly devastated, utterly ruined. God Almighty, the Jesus who saved me, asked me to go into ministry, called me into that. And now the very church says that I can't do it. If only I had known. And I never blamed my wife. I, I, never, I just didn't take that road. Instead, I got sad and down, which just wasn't me. And this one day, I, I, I went out. I was sitting on a river, and I went back home. And I did something I've never actually done with such sincerity and, 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 and you know, deliberateness before. And I'm not recommending that you do it. I took my Bible, and I sat down on my bed, and I said, God, I'm done. I'm finished. All my hope is gone. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to open my Bible. And I'm going to start reading. And if you're going to save me from all of this, you need to do it right now. So I need a word, and I need it now more than I've ever needed it. Ready, God? He doesn't have to play this game, by the way. I open my Bible. Turn to the book of Ezekiel. Turn to the book of Ezekiel and take a look at this. Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel 24. This is what I read. Ezekiel 24 and verse 15. I want you to find this because I want you to see it. It's a fantastic scripture. Ezekiel 24 and verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. That was his wife, by the way. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened on your head and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people and in, in, in the morning and in the evening my wife died. Astonishing scripture. I don't know if you know the context there. But what actually happened, look at me a minute. Here's Ezekiel. Young man full of passion, wife by his side, full of hopes and dreams. And Ezekiel's head is not in heaven. It's very much on earth, very much focused on his partner. And they're through walking in Israel. Guess what? Israel is exactly the same. They've got a great big wall. And their hope is in their city wall. And God looks at them and says, I can't get in. You're not heavenly minded. You're earthly focused. I'm going to have to break in, guys. So he calls Ezekiel. And the grace of God warns him. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to pluck her from the earth. And I'm going to put her in heaven. What? <laughs> I am going to get your attention whether you like it or not. This is bigger than you, Ezekiel. This is a bigger deal than your little mind or your little relationship. I am taking her out of the world, up into heaven, and your focus will move from yourself to the kingdom. And so will Israel. And you will go out and you will not mourn. You will not grieve. I'm going to destroy your hopes, your worldly hopes. What's the difference between the lost and the saved? 
Look at you, Ezekiel. I am your God. Stop it. Look to me. Follow me. And the greatest credit, the eternal credit, I can't wait to meet, to meet Ezekiel. I really can't. Because I want to slap him on the back, you know. I want to say, Ezekiel, hey, come here. Well done. Because you know what he did? You, you know the rest of the story. He didn't mourn. He didn't complain. The greatest credit to Ezekiel is this. He said, okay. Bring it on. Okay. I accept it. I had my hopes. I had my dreams. But God, who am I to thwart your plans? Who am I to stop you moving in Israel? God, forgive me and forgive the nation. He wakes up. His wife is dead. And the walls of Israel are trampled down. And God showed me that. You see, at my lowest point, rescued me. Really? By showing me that your life is nothing new, pal. There's been loads of guys just like you before you, and there'll be loads like you after. And anyway, don't listen to that interview panel. <laughs> Come and follow me. I'll look after you. It's okay. And within a very short time, we were absolutely okay. I just want you to see, guys, I had to, Ezekiel had to give it to God. I had to give my hopes and my dreams to God. He required all of me, including my hopes, because they weren't sanctified. And you may have ungodly hopes sitting there right now. Hopes of wealth. Not that wealth is ungodly. I'm totally acceptant of prosperity. I mean in a wrong sense. Right? You may have hopes of wealth, hopes of this relationship or that. And you need to be vulnerable enough to say, do you know what, God? Today, you know what I'll do? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll give the whole lot to you. And your hopes. What hopes, what dreams have you had that have recently been shaken or taken? You know what you need to do? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. He knows the, the, the beginning from the end. He knows your whole story. Just give it to God. Not just hopes, but qualifications. A second section there. By qualifications, I don't mean having them. I mean lack of them. As a pastor, you know, you ask a thousand people to do a thousand jobs in the church. Very seldom do people say, I can't do that job because I'm overqualified. 99%, it's the other way around. You ask them to be a cell leader or a worship leader or whatever. 99% of the time, they say, I can't do it because I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill. It's another one of those things. And many of you, Sitting there right now, if Pastor Hugh or Paul or some of the leaders here were to ask you, would you do this? What is your reaction before you dismiss it, friend? Before you dismiss it, what is your reaction? Because we come once again in a long biblical line of men who said no. Joshua, Moses, Peter, Gideon, Jeremiah, you. Men who, when challenged by God, say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I haven't got the qualifications that Pastor Hughes got. I'm not like him. I can't follow in his foot. That was Joshua, wasn't it? He wouldn't fulfill it. He wouldn't give that part of himself to God, largely because of comparison 
in most cases. Remember Joshua? I can't do what Moses just did. I can't part the Red Sea. And God had to come to Joshua and say, you know what, Josh? I parted the Red Sea. Not Moses. That was me in the pillar. Not Moses. You're missing the whole point, Josh. Moses did one thing. What was it? Come on, guys. Holy! So you, Joshua, be holy. And as I was with him, so I will be with you. Just be holy. Nothing more. I don't demand any qualification of you. Just a sanctified life, a sacrificial life. That's it. And I'll part the Red Sea. I'll be a pillar before you. So don't let this keep, don't hold it back is what I'm saying. God chooses the weak and the foolish things in this world to confound the wisdom of man. Your hopes, give them to God. Your qualifications or lack of them, give them to God. But just as qualifications can put you down and you don't pursue God, so also knowledge can puff you up. And by that I don't mean pride. I mean it just puffs you up full stop. You know the quickest way to kill a church? Feed it. Just feed it. You don't need to do anything else. <laughs> just make sure that your church has the best teaching every Sunday. Twice, if possible. And a midweek Bible study. Just feed it. And you know what will happen to your church? They'll get so big and fat and passive that it's what the Bible calls knowledge has puffed them up. So now they're bloated. It's like the after Christmas dinner feeling. You know that feeling? When you've just had the biggest dinner of the year. What do you like? Passive. Right? Passive. Bloated. Somebody could come and take your wallet. Oh, okay, take my wallet. Passive. Not aggressive. Bloated, inactive. And that's what the warning of the Bible is to the church. I went to two different Bible colleges, actually. Cardiff Uni, and I went to a university in Singapore, which was a pastor's college. That was, it was really good. And in that college, we had about 25 pastors from all over the world, and we studied there. In our course, we had, I think it was 22 modules. And you were marked on every one. And this was a highly competitive class, actually. A lot of Asians can, can be very competitive, and they were. Out of the 22 modules, I think I came first either 19 or 20 times. They didn't like that. And I came back, having been to two different colleges and two different universities, came back to my church, and I sat down, and do you know what I did? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. As the young believers were leading people to Christ, as the worship was going on, as lives all around me were full of energy and zeal, I sat like a couch potato, bloated, stuffed, passive, having lost everything and not knowing what had quite happened to me. And one day, I praise God for it. The pastor of that church is called Roy, a good friend of mine. And as I sat there in my customary pose <laughs> one Sunday... I think he was preaching to me. You know when you're going to say something that affects someone? Always look the other way. You know? I think he was preaching to me that day. And you know what he said? Some of you now know so much that you do so little. Some of you have been educated to such a level that you're now completely useless. 
And man, that, you know when the light comes on? That just humdinger struck me like dong. That's you, pal. That's a trick, that is. It's not pride, remember? It's the warning of the Bible, puffed up. It's a bloated feeling. I tell you, I changed that day, and I changed forever. I've never gone back. And I, I, something rose up inside of me. And I, is all my study for nothing? Is all my education going to be for nothing? No way. I'm not going to let that happen, me. So I started getting aggressive in the kingdom. And I have never changed. I remember we had 52 all-night prayer meetings. I know you've been to one, Paul, right? 52 all-night prayer meetings every Friday. And the church was saying, we couldn't cope. Come on, let's do it. Let's go. Let's not become fat and lazy. Let's do it. Let's go out and do street preaching. Let's get involved in evangelism. So we did that. And all of a sudden, the stuff that's in you starts to catch fire. And you change as a person, right? It's just common sense. But I don't know about you. I'm 45. And I spent a lot of time sitting getting taught. And all it ever did was bloat me. You've got to be very careful about knowledge. And at a certain point in my life, I had to give that to God. I had to hand myself in and say, do you know what, God? I've lost my way here. I definitely have lost my way. I'm not witnessing. I've got no care or passion for the lost. Somebody gets saved and I say, oh, good, good, good. I've lost it, Lord. I've absolutely lost it. How do I get it back? Simple ABCs, right? Pray. Tell people about Jesus. Get simple. Don't get complicated. And all of that stuff can come out in the right time. So there was a point in my life I had to give up my hopes. I don't know about you. A point where I had to, 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 to do it whether I'm qualified or not. A point where knowledge is not going to kill me anymore. I'm going to put it into practice. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Look at this. Proverbs chapter 11, one of the best scriptures in the Bible. Proverbs 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls <coughs> excuse me, is wise. Listen, folks, what I'm about to say, you will never hear or could hear a more important point in your whole life. So don't miss it. In your life, you are going to do many things. You're going to be a dad, an employee, have a ministry in the church, whatever. You're going to be and you are going to do many things. Now, my Bible doesn't say that it's wise to be a dad. Nothing wrong with being a dad. Fine. My Bible doesn't say it's wise to be a worship leader or a pastor. It does say one thing, however. We just read it. That he who wins souls is wise. And all that tells me is that God wants me to know, no matter what I do in life, do it well because you're a believer. Right? Give your life to God. Do all things well. But always keep a portion of my energy for winning souls. Always. If I fail to do that, I have failed in everything. I've missed the big picture. I've, I've, I've seen the trees, but not the forest. 
always reserved. If you are not winning souls, you're, you're not wise, guys. Not wise. He who wins souls is wise. Trouble is we get distracted with everything in life, especially ministries, and that's a fact. What's the name of that worship leader this morning? Andy? Andy? Sorry, I don't mean to use you as an example. Anything I say has got nothing to do with him as a person. Just an example. Andy, let's say those doors sprung open and Jesus Christ walked in. And he's, he, he's back in the flesh. He's here and he's walking among us. And he comes up and he says, Andy, I have something to say to you. And he says this, when you're transitioning from the key of G, just make sure that you're tying in with the rest of the band. Your transitions are a bit loose. Give some sort of hand signal to your drummer, to your keyboard player. Now let's just run through that song one more time. Do you think he would say that? What would he say to you, Andy? He'd say the same thing he always said. Win souls! Go and win souls! As this earth winds up, yes, amen to worship, but not with indulgence. Not with indulgence. Not to, the, for, for, you know, to their cost. Never to their cost. Or it's a mockery. Never to their cost. And never to cause you to lose your light. But you know what the problem is for me? The easiest thing for me to do is actually preach because that's my gift. And the easiest thing for you to do is to lead worship because you're obviously anointed and made to do that. And so it's easy for me to do this, but it's hard for me to win my neighbors. It's hard for me to win souls. That's tough. That's hard going. Do you know what I'll do? I think I'll just get behind that gift and I'll stay there. It's nice and cozy there. There's no sacrifice there. Do you get the point? He who wins souls is wise. The easiest thing for you to do is to get caught up in the ministry of your church and miss the plot. The easiest thing in the world. You know, 97% of the preaching on this earth is done to the saved. 97% of the proclamation of the gospel it's to those who are already saved, leaving a measly 3% for a dying world. God help us. God help us. How did we make that mistake? Missing the point. Now the devil would be very keen, I think, to disengage us completely, unhook us from the purpose of God for our lives, for my life, for your life. You must not make that mistake. Dedicate all your experience, all that you have been, all of me, all of you, Dedicate it all to the Lord, especially in this end times harvest we're just about to bring in. Dedicate it all to the Lord. And why don't you personally make a commitment today to win souls? It's going to cost you. It's not that easy. It's not this easy. It's far harder than that. Far, far harder than that. Do you know that in America, I traveled an enormous amount in America, went to 17... U.S. cities over the last five years, teaching on missions. And in America, there is more Christian stuff than ever. More, you know, television 24 hours a day, more radio 24 hours a day, more books, more audio, more CD, more the, everything than there has ever been in history. And yet, America is in free fall. 
with salvation. Freefall. They cannot get the, the chart back. They can't seem to catch it. It's just going down and down. Well, the church stuffs itself on the word. Passive, bloated, and not active. God forgive us. Amen. You can all say amen there. Amen. God forgive us. God forgive us. God forgive us. And I, I'm talking about myself. I had my dawn that day when that pastor said to me, you know, really, I had become useless. Tinkering around with, with, with service in the church. Tinkering around with my duties. Missing the fire. Missing the passion that God has out there. Listen to this. Do you know that the average, guess what it costs. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Guess what it costs per convert in America. They added up all the Pentecostal born-again churches and their expenditure on evangelism and missions. They added up all the cost of television and radio, and they made it all together. Then they added up the number of converts. You get it? And they, you know, subtracted the two. Guess how much each convert in the United States, for example, cost? Are you ready? $250,000 ahead. $250,000 per convert. Now, hey, converts are priceless. It doesn't matter, does it? But it does. I mean, does it really have to cost that much? That's a shocking figure. And so they were forced, you know, some group leaders, church leaders, were forced to sit down and say, what is going on? How on earth are we spending all this money? I'll tell you why. Because human beings would rather spend two, three, four hundred pounds on tracks than change, than to be the light. Because it costs you personally to change. It doesn't cost to put a TV program on, if you know what I mean. Not you personally. And because the church has become so dim, we would rather pay for someone else to go on the mill, whatever. You know, do you get my point? We've lost it. And that's why that bill has risen to monumental proportions. And they caught a hold of themselves and they said, what are we doing? And we did the same in Ireland, actually. We spent two million in Ireland with the Assemblies of God. We had a huge project called Power to Change. Someone gave the church their two million. And, and, and we started in the right place with actually getting Christians to be the light just like they were always supposed to be. It doesn't cost 250 grand, amen? It doesn't cost 250 grand for me to be a witness. But such is the, the, you know, the, the, the loathing of this by the church that they would rather pay a fortune than change one jot. Sorry, but it's true. You see, the truth is in 1 John. Look at 1 John a moment. 1 John chapter 1. John tells us what the gospel is. 1 John chapter 1. He's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about the gospel he has heard. <coughs> 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have what? What? Touched. And handles depends on your version. And John, I love that scripture because you know what? 
John is describing the gospel. And do you know how he, how he describes it? As something he touched. A person. Not a message. Not information. As a living, breathing being. The gospel was someone I've seen. It was embodied in Christ. And that's what we've lost. Could I have my statistics up there, please? Take a look at this list of statistics. Sorry, maybe they're in the wrong slide, are they? It's the statistics from... There you go. These... This was the biggest ever study done in the United Kingdom. They did it from 1987 to 1997. They asked churches to tell them how people got saved. And look at the staggering result from that study. 1% over a 10-year period got saved because of door knocking. 2% because of the mission program in the church. 3% because someone died, bereavement. That's supposed to say 3%, not 35%. 3% through Sunday school. 6% through publicity. 8% through a pastor. And look at the last one. This is only 1997. 77% of people who are getting saved. It's not actually because of the telly. It's not because of the tract. It's because someone was the light. Because a person had taken the sacrifice, had paid the cost to be the light to them. Seven, you see what? Do you know what, guys? God hasn't changed. The gospel in its original form was God, 100% God, 100% man. It was a personal gospel. And he hasn't changed. You notice God didn't save the world by sending a tweet or an email. He saved the world in a personal form by sending his son. And the truth is, it hasn't changed. No matter how clever we get, or how much we might try and buy it, God still uses lives that are sacrificed, lives that are laid down. I pray some dangerous prayers sometimes about my own life. I don't know what you do, but I I often pray God either kill me or cure me. What I mean by that is, I don't mind dying. I'm ready to die now. I'm quite happy to die. (laughs) Take me home now. If I'm going to mess up my life, just let me not wake up. No problem. Kill me or cure me. And by that, I mean make me useful. I don't want to rust out. I'd much rather burn out, thank you. Far rather. At least we tried to do something. And after that initial blip with my hopes getting dashed as a young minister, times went by, but I would pray that prayer. And one day, I believe God took me up on it. I wasn't that productive. We were in Ireland. The church was good. But personally, I had been, I think, about nine years full-time ministry. Nine years. And God spoke to me and he said this, move to Liverpool. And it was such a strange word, but that's exactly what, and it was crystal clear. Move, up sticks, sell your home, move to Liverpool. And I did. And he guided me each step along the way and put me on a factory line, Jaguar car factory. I don't know if you've ever woken up and thought, how did I get here? (laughs) Or, Or if you can appreciate how difficult it is after like nine years full time to be messing around with car engines, you know? Car dashboards, actually. That's what I used to do, squeak and rattle. So I'm determined to follow God, and he, he plucks me up and says, move. Oh, what's all this about? Move. And I go to Liverpool, 
take this job. I take the job and I'm standing, having come from a situation like this for years, where everybody's safe. Plucks me out and he puts me on a factory line with some pretty coarse guys. And I'm standing there, half six, our shift started in the morning. Car after car after car. And everybody's lost. I'm thinking, what on earth is going on, God? Well, I prayed for it, didn't I? Kill me or cure me. And you know what he was saying to me? If I leave you in that church, you're going to bloat and die. You'll become useless again. You have lost your ability to contact the lost. You've become churchified. So I'm going to answer your prayer. Come with me. Stand on the line. Do you know I couldn't even hardly say good morning to the lost? I had become so, you know, steeped in church life that I had lost all ability to witness, to contact, to speak with them. And I was like, you're staying here until this is dealt with. God. And you know, in a, there was about 50 guys in, in a room not much bigger than this, actually. Jaguar cars is, is quiet. It's not what you think. Because there's machines, and you need to hear the machine. It's part of your job. So it's quite quiet. And there'd be about 50 guys, and there's always one, isn't there? Isn't there? <laughs> there's always one. And this guy, I'd, I'd come in, and you know, the guys found out on my first day almost, I said, I'm born again, I'm a Christian, I'm a minister, don't quite know what I'm doing here, but uh, there you go. And there's always one. My wife came in a few days as well. She did temporary work there. So they knew her and they knew me. I come in this morning and it's all quiet. And this guy shouts over, Hey, Mick! It was Liverpool, you know, Liverpool accent. Hey, Mick! Your wife's a slag. Not easy. I won't tell you what he said. The real words. <laughs> and I won't repeat the abuse. And some of the other guys said, Oh, shut up, Bernie. Leave him alone. Hey, Mick, you want to know what I did with your wife last night? Mick, turn around, talk to me. Hey, Jesus. Mm-mm. Oh, she's good, Mick. Didn't expect this, Lord. And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll get an iron bar. Oh, no, I won't bother. It would have been worth it, though. (laughs) Six months, that's all you get, and we'd be over in a tick. I could witness in the prison. I tell you what, I really, I, 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 I just, just hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't do anything. What do I do? Break time, out to my car. Jesus, help me. What do I do in here, Lord? What do I do? This is not my world. What do I do? What are you doing to me? Nick and you're Christian. You've forgotten what it is to sacrifice, friend. It's all so cozy. You've forgotten about the real world, haven't you? Yes, Lord. Shock therapy, huh? So one morning, he was shouting. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, he was telling me I was going to hell. That was it. He was saying, Mick! Mick! Hell! That's where you're going. And the guys were, he was a tough guy. Most of the guys were frightened of him. There was one guy who wasn't frightened of him, but he didn't touch him. And standing there, I was crying, actually. I was standing at my desk. I was crying. 
And, and he walked over and he sort of, looked, looked, he didn't expect, I didn't know he was coming. And he sort of caught the tears in my eyes. And he sort of left it then for a little while. And one morning he came over and he stood beside my station and he never said anything. He just stood there. And then it started. He said, I've got a problem. Have you? I've got, what? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've got a big problem. I've got a problem. I said, what's that, Bernie? He said, I can't stop gambling. It's ruining my life. I mean, I'm absolutely addicted to gambling. I've got debts. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Oh. Would you pray for me about that? Absolutely, Bernie. No problem. A couple of days go by, I brought him in some teaching tapes on the gospel, you know? And I gave them to him. I said, I'm praying for you. Take those tapes home. Give them a listen. A few more days go, there was a tannoy system in the office. He gets the tapes. He He's the daddy. He gets the tapes, comes in, puts the tapes on in the office, plays it over the tannoy. And I come in, oh God, it's my voice. And he's going, listen to this, you lot. Listen to it. Listen to him. Hallelujah. He bought himself a big cross. <laughs> hung it around his neck. It was his way of expressing repentance and turning to God. He was the most costly convert I ever birthed. And something died inside me and also came to life. All of a sudden I was a, 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 a Christian again. The light again. You see, it costs to be the light. I would rather pay for a tract and not have to change. But in that factory, I had to change. In the factory, do you know in here, do you know salvation, it's all about them. It's not about us. But see on the factory line, do you know what salvation, it was about me. I was the light of the world. Jesus, when he was on earth, said, I am the light of the world. Before he left, he switched it. He said, now you are the light of the world. And he put the onus on us. Salvation, the gospel, evangelism, look at me and listen, please. It's not about them. Don't let yourself off the hook. Salvation is about you being the light in a very dark world. And 77% are still saved by people who realize that and pay the cost I think he's probably the most precious convert I've ever had. Just like a woman forgets her pain when she's had that child. And Paul talks about groaning and all that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm done, guys. I'm done. But I want you to make a sacrifice today. I want us all to. In this first section, the beginning of your life, your hopes and your dreams, what's been taken off you? Don't hold it back. Let God take. He's the God who gives and takes away. Your experiences, whatever you've been through, give them to God. Your qualifications or lack of them, give them to God. You know, I am very happily married. I love my wife with all my heart and she loves me passionately, more than anyone has ever loved me. But <laughs> every now and again, well, not, not recently, but in not long ago, we had this ongoing argument. Do you ever have those guys? You know, this repeat, repeat argument? And do you know what it was? I would go into the church office, and, and, and she'd be working on something at the desk, you see? And I would have something urgent in my mind. I'd come in and I'd say, Jeanette, I need you to do this. 
And she would look up and she'd say, I can't. I'm doing this. I can't. Well, that used to rile me. <laughs> I would say, I, I, I know you're doing that. I need you to stop doing that and I need you to do what I want you to I can't. I'm doing this. Oh, that used to get my hackle up. And I had to sit her down one day. And this is what, you know, we get on really well. But this was, this was a major point to me. I was really struggling. But I sat her down and I said, do you know what, Jeanette? Do you know what your priority is? It's my priority. Your priority is whatever I say it is. You have no authority to take that from me. And she, she got it. And we never had that problem again. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives you what you're to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. Preach the gospel. Now, that's his priority. Right? And I think we deal with him in exactly the same way as my wife was dealing with me. And I think if you want to get God's back up, <laughs> that's one sure way to do it. Sorry, God can't go. Got to go to worship practice. Sorry, God can't do it. I got to do this service. I got to do that service. And God says, I, I, I need to tell you what the priorities are because I can see them dying all around. Four people in an area of 10,000 people, four die every day. It's no fun. It's not a joke, is it? I need to give God all of me and I need to embrace his priorities for my life. Take a look. Andy, could you come back for us just for one moment? Take a look at that list. If the hat doesn't fit, you don't have to wear it. But if you've been holding something back, I want to ask you to give it up, to give it back to God this morning and let him take rulership again in your life. Father, as we sang in the earlier song, we want to draw near to you. And whatever it is in our individual lives, would you reveal it to us this morning? Let us see it. And give us the grace and the courage to let things go. God, if it's my lack of ability, my overfeeding on knowledge, as it were, the experiences or my hopes, right now, we surrender.